This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, Prince Wine Store and the Bendigo Art Gallery, presenting Elvis direct from Graceland, created in partnership with Graceland. This Australian exclusive exhibition explores the life and style of Elvis Presley. On now until July 17, tickets from bendigoartgallery.com.au. In 1991, Sal made history by becoming the first woman to join the Victoria Racing Club. So she was a trailblazer. Vale Sal and Vale Ron Reid, a wonderful man, a passionate journalist and writer and sports editor. When you and I started out, you know, we weren't welcome at things like the Australian Football Media Awards. The first year I went, they said I couldn't come because no woman had ever gone. And Ron fought to get me there. Was that the him. same event where they thought you were the catering staff? Yeah, I was I was sent to the kitchen and offered an apron, but and that is true. People don't believe it. But I'd soon made it out of the kitchen. I think the overwhelming feeling I have is war of the Queen and all she's achieved, but immense sadness because I really do think that this could have been the Queen's last public hurrah. The connection is that all three were strong, intelligent, outspoken women with firm beliefs in their own right who wanted to play a bigger role in their husband's cabinets. Stealing the absolute show is Michelle Pfeiffer. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkins. Welcome, everybody, to episode 221. Where did the episodes go? Of Don't Shoot the Messenger, I'm Caroline Wilson. I'm here with my friend Corey Perkin. We're entering into what feels like a long, cold winter, Corey. And isn't it lovely to know that for most of the time we'll be here to cheer each other up? <laughs> well... Some of us will be. You have a family <laughs> wedding in warmer climes, but that's not for a little while. Uh, look, yes, certainly, potties. We are here throughout winter through snow, storms, and like today, hail. It has been a pretty cold start to June, hasn't it? And um, Miss Jane, have you had any snow up in your part of the woods? No, but it gets down to the place I live in, so we're about 40 metres above that at this stage, but I'm sure it will happen. Miss <laughs> Jane has walked in with a bouquet of um, natives, which... They'd be charging about 50 bucks at a beautiful shop like Say It With Flowers. They are so, or the big bunch, they are beautiful, Jane. Look at these little banks. So just picture me, though, with a head torch on at 11pm last night. <laughs> oh, no, not the Realising I had an early start down in the back paddock where the natives and the sort of, you know, the South African things grow. But Carrie, you've inspired me. There are proteas and that sort of thing going into that paddock. I'm very much looking forward to <laughs> reaping the benefits of that, Miss Jane. Um, hint, hint. Corrie, um, I always just, I don't know about you, I just look forward to around June 22, 23, because then at least you know the days are getting longer again. You do. It's just so dark and cold at the moment. Anyway, thank you, Prince Wine Store, one of our wonderful sponsors. We'll be talking to Miles soon with some great recommendations. And thank you, Red Energy, my satisfied customers, 11 years in a row. We've heard... Um, a lot of we've had a lot of recommendations and correspondence. Corrie, do you want to kick off? I do. I would like to thank Suka Watty on Instagram, who, uh, in reference to the beautiful book that I recommended last week, she said, "I love Patrick Gale. Can't wait to read this one. I'm off to grab some prosecco, which is great. Grab your favourite book. Grab your favourite drink. I'm really for that, Suka. So this was the book, just in case people missed it, called." Uh, Mother's Son by Patrick Gale. And Nicole Healy via Instagram said, Caro, why don't the Northern Territory have an AFL team? Well, it's a good question, Nicole, but um, Tasmania are the ones who are stating their claim at the moment. There's no suggestion of 
government um, sponsorship up in the Northern Territory. They certainly sponsor for games in Darwin and the Alice. And um, we've just, we've seen Gold Coast up there for the past two weeks play two games up north. But um, I think they might have beaten your Hawks, <laughs> didn't they, Corey? Next subject. Two weeks ago. Um, but anyway, um, oh, Hawks, Hawks are on a... They'll be fine. No, I think they'll be okay. Kerry via email said, I've listened to your podcast from the first episode and it is an essential part of my week. You've made me think, laugh and cry, which I tend to do more easily at my age. I'm 53. I do not always agree with your opinions and thoughts, but I love the fact I can hear them and we are in a country where you can express them freely. Having said that, it is rare that I disagree. Your podcasts during COVID were essential to help ease isolation. Kerry, thank you. And we know that you sent us a letter, a, a copy of a letter that you've sent to The Age, which um, I understand um, that you have unsubscribed after many years. And you pointed out in your note to Carol and I with Corrie's very personal history with The Age and Caroline's professional history, I thought she, you might be interested in hearing the opinions of a cancelled subscriber. So I, um, we had a read of that too, Kerry. We'll take that offline, but thank you very much. And Kerry, before you Kerry's go Kerry's now a, a Guardian subscriber. And, you know, I, I tell you I why people might unsubscribe from newspapers at the moment is because they're not being delivered. And this is a problem. It's a big problem on the Mornington Peninsula. It's a big problem in the CBD and around Melbourne. Um, supply is a disaster at the moment. We know that, you know, Gay Alcorn, the editor-in-chief, and um, wrote a big, you know, full-page apology, which I thought was fantastic, um, apologising for the glitches that have been caused by the changes in um, newsagent policy and now it's going to a central delivery point. But for people like my mum, when her age doesn't arrive and it just keeps happening, it is so frustrating. Mm, so It is so frustrating. So, look, people should jump online get used to reading things online. It's not the same as having the paper. but No, um, but if you people like having a paper delivered. Of course they do. You can't and, do and the crossword online, Code Corrie. words. How do you do code words? Carol, just before you read the next bit of correspondence, I just wanted to um, thank Mr. Lucas Gerhard from the United Arab Emirates, whose email arrived in the Don't Shoot basket the other night. And Mr. Gerhard wondered whether we would like to invest in his global financial company. Um, thank you, Mr. Gerhard. With the very, very dodgy branding at the bottom of the <laughs> Thank email. you, but no thank you, Mr. Gerhard. Um, just a, sorry, we didn't really finish with the Northern Territory. If there was a 19th team in Tasmania, it some people think there's a nice synergy about a team in the Northern Territory, then we have 20, but I don't actually see it going to happen. And I think the Gold Coast should be building up a stronger connection there, which they've started to do. And I think that is probably the answer. Corrie, um, we also got thanks for my soup recipe from a few weeks ago, the cow, the cow soy. Um, Anne S absolutely loved it, and she loves the show, loves her daily walk in six C, six C, six degrees. Oh, six degrees Celsius. Thank oh you. Well, goodness. six capital C it sounds like a <laughs> class number. And um, she's a practicing um, a practicing nurse, and she's offered to fit you and Pete in for a flu vax. I oh, know. I did see that. Thank you. And. Thank you for that uh, that lovely offer to to give me a flu vaccination. I actually had one on Sunday. Thank so, heaven. So well done to those medical centres that are offering Sunday services. And a lovely nurse. He was so nice. He brought the doctor in to check me out. It was lovely, lovely. It was great service. Well done. So, Caro, we have a little bit of um, sadness, or you certainly do, in your life. And I just wondered whether you would like to share with us the um, two significant people in your life who you lost this week. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it, it was much, obviously much worse for their families. But um, on Friday morning, my godmother, Sally Chernside, who um, has battled lung cancer, passed away. Sal was, I think she was 84. She, as I said, was my godmother, one of my mother's closest friends, um, mother of my great friend, Andrew. And she's just a, she was a really interesting woman, a wonderful figure all of our lives. We used to you know, we sort of grew up with her family going to stay with them in the Western District when we were kids. But in 1991, Sal made history by becoming the first woman. So she was a trailblazer to join the Victoria Racing Club committee. And that was a big thing at the time. And she was on, she stayed on the VRC for over a decade and um, was also a great racehorse owner, had great success with um, several horses, including Mrs. Fitzherbert, which he owned with my mother and um, and others. And she ran a fabulous frock shop, a fabulous frock shop, which was um, named after her in the Turak village for some years. She was a wonderful designer. She had a great eye, an absolutely beautiful woman. So um, Vale Sal, she, she's the daughter, in fact, of Pop Vine who was a Melbourne footballer, captain Melbourne to two premierships. And actually in his first game in the 1920s, his first game was a grand final. And he's in that immortal club of first gamers who play in a premiership in their first game. That was um, Sal's Are you father. going to tell me something further romantic, like he kicked three goals or? Not sure if he kicked any goals like Marlott Pickett did That's for right. Richmond and as one of the other members of that club. But anyway, yeah, that's so, your segue. So there, there's a um, look. I just remember Sally from uh, from I, I, you know I, obviously I didn't know her from the racing sphere. I knew her as your friend and your mum's friend, but I did meet her at the races occasionally when the Australian or the Age would say, "Oh, you know everybody in Melbourne. Grab a photographer and go out and do the birdcage." And you go, "Oh my." God, another day of interviewing people about, you know, their fashion. But Sally was always there on the back of somebody's lovely car eating chicken sandwiches and introduced me and I could always talk about the clothes that she wore. She was always very elegant and I remember her helping a young journalist along the way with those sorts of yeah. foul stories that well, we were given she, to cover. She ended up back in the country. She had a fabulous place um, near Seymour and finally at Avenal um, established a beautiful garden near Seymour and um, her last place at Avenal was gorgeous. Um, her son Andy has kept, he knows exactly where they are anyway, the ashes of some of her beautiful dogs, which she's um, never scattered. So I think um, they'll all be scattered together, probably at one of her beautiful gardens in the coming weeks and months. So um, Vale Sal and Vale Ron Reed, who we spoke about a few weeks ago when I was you know, so honoured to get the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Melbourne Press Club. Ron Reed was my first sports editor, as you know, because you were the one who suggested to him that he should offer me a job in sport. And he, it was a great Bad shock. career move. I should have offered myself. Then <laughs> well, I might you be you. you were already in sport. <laughs> but I but, might be you. I might have multiple media You were already working and... <laughs> in sport at the time, you silly girl. No, no, quite seriously. It was an enormous shock last week when Ron died. He died of a heart attack, I believe. He was way too young. Um, just a, a wonderful man, um, a passionate journalist and writer and sports editor, really passionate about his craft, an old-fashioned journo with great skills, came from Warrnambool Way, was one of many who came and worked um, at the old Melbourne Herald and The Age back in the sort of 60s and 70s, big Carlton supporter. Um, I really hope the Blues do the right thing by him on Friday night against Essendon. And there is a 
there's going to be a memorial for Ron at the Caulfield Racecourse on Friday and I'll be there, but I just feel, I so feel for his beautiful wife, Lee, who I also caught up with not long ago, and his son, Adam, who are completely devastated and heartbroken. It it was so sudden. He'd had some heart issues earlier in the week, been released from hospital, come home, and was on the phone, Corrie, to um, someone you and I would both remember well, John Trevorrow, the newspaper man, John Trevorrow, when um, unfortunately he died. So it just terribly, terribly sad. I'm so glad I've got to thank him on several occasions, but I really owe him my career. And I know a lot of people, I think Eddie Maguire wrote a long letter to Adam Reid, his son, to say the same thing. He gave Eddie Maguire his start too in journalism and um, just really, really sad. He was a he was such a lovely man, Caro, and um, I always kind of think of him and Dave Austin of the age and three or four others in that group of great journos, great sports you know, they loved all sports and they loved encouraging new talent. And, and He was a man um, of few words, let's yeah, he face was it. a man of few words. Um, but he, was but he all, had a presence. He had such a presence. He, he also, I mean, when he, when he did speak, he, he was spare with his words, but they always made sense. And, you know, when you, when you and I started out, you know, we weren't welcome at things like the AF, it's now called the Australian Football Media Awards, and it's full of women. But the first year I went, they said I couldn't come because no woman had ever gone. And Ron fought to get me there. It was held at the Carlton Footy Club, absolutely fought to get me there. Every Friday, all the sports journals would go to lunch and I was always included. I was always included. I got to meet so many footy contacts. Was that the him. same event where they thought you were the catering staff? Yeah, I was I was sent to the kitchen and offered an apron, but and that is true. People don't believe it. But I'd soon made it out of the kitchen. And um, look... I don't know. I just, um, you, you just think about those sliding doors moments and, you know, you were encouraging him to try a woman in sport and he said there was really no one he could think of. You know what's so funny? At your at your night, your the celebration of Caroline Wilson's career and you, lovely gesture, you asked Ron to be at our table. So that was really nice. And I reminded him afterwards of the night that I it was the young cadet journalist and through my date, I ended up being around the dinner table with he and his wife. I was so intimidated. And I was seated next to him, which is when I told him, there's someone in your newsroom who, who's a woman who would really like to do football and her name's Caroline Wilson. So I reminded him of this at the dinner. He said, I can't remember that. <laughs> I said, oh, come on, Ron. It was a seminal moment in Australian journalism. I can't remember that. <laughs> Anyway, um, so and I'd, I would just like to say too that um, I'd like to send my love to the Inge family. Zig Inge, who was a wonderful Melbourneian, a wonderful Victorian, um, he received. He was a member of the Order of Australia. He also um, had died over the weekend. He was a refugee from Latvia. Um, he had a, an extraordinary time during World War Two, I have to say. But um, Vale Ziginj, and I'm thinking of Helen and um, the children and the grandchildren. And speaking of um, the Carlton Essendon game on Friday night, which is celebrating Essendon's 150th, they're not in great shape at the moment, the Bombers. But um, be interesting to see James Heard back for a big pre-game celebration. Um, the Carlton players will be wearing black armbands for a Carlton man who didn't play 100 games, but his name was John Lloyd and he's the father of Matthew Lloyd. And um, he also died last week, lost his battle with pancreatic cancer, just a dreadful, dreadful illness. So, um, yeah, it's been a really sad week. And I, I know Matthew and his family, great football family, are all absolutely devastated, but all got to say goodbye. So 
a sad week, Corrie, and it's also been a week of celebrations over in the UK. And I'm interested in your take on the Jubilee. Well, I think the overwhelming... I I didn't watch a lot of it, Carol. I had a very busy weekend, bizarrely, because that doesn't often happen in June, but it was a very busy weekend, so I didn't see a lot of it. But I think the overwhelming feeling I have is one of... um, in awe of the Queen and all she's achieved, but immense sadness because I really do think that this could have been the Queen's last public hurrah. She's she she was in great form with like the Paddington video. How good was that? Her timing is exquisite. She it's should have gone into comedy. <laughs> it's interesting she's done James Bond and Paddington. You know, in her two I love different. It. At the, you know, that was back I just in the Olympics, love it, but but, uh, but I I did feel that she looked a little fragile, and clearly pulling out of the church service, which has always been a very important part of her life, her religious commitment. But I did I, I really felt like, gosh, it's not long now, and and when you are our age, and indeed your mum's age too, um, we've grown up with Queen Elizabeth. Our kids, of course, have grown up with Queen Elizabeth, but but she was has been such a part of our lives, but particularly in the sixties and seventies when we adored royalty and we really were as a country so committed to the United Kingdom and being part of the empire or the Commonwealth, uh, less so these days. But uh, yeah, I, I, I felt, gosh, this is, the, this is the end of an era. And I was struck by the crowds. I was struck by Paul Moore looking so amazing. Um, struck by the mill, by the London streets with all of the flags. And oh, I, wouldn't I, it be? People I know in London at the moment say it is just the most oh. it's been the most brilliant weather they've the, turned it on so Cara, they did the a youtube of the streets regent street and and piccadilly and the strand and, and it, it just is you're right it's just glowing it looks absolutely beautiful and i just thought well do they do this for king charles will will there be this same kind of energy behind from the british people i know the republicans in australia are quietly waiting for a moment um yeah, so I, I I just I just was a bit overwhelmed actually to be honest. I I did think there's great hope in the side. Prince William's speech was terrific, referring to his grandmother's commitment of many years to conservation and the world ecology, and he made a great speech on behalf of um, saving the planet. Um, Prince Louis brought the house down. Yeah, that was hysterical. What about people? There was some stupid social media about Kate being called out for poor mothering. I mean, for heaven's sake, that was wonderful. And it was great to see Charles with his grandson on his knee. You don't often see the grandfatherly shots. I I loved her surprise appearance on the balcony in bright green. And mum and I wondered whether that was um, in homage to um, Ireland and, and just a way of making a statement about Ireland feeling part of... Um, the Jubilee, I don't know, but... Um, I, I, my take on that colour was that, because every, everything is planned to a... To yes, what and colours. it was a very bright I, green. It well, was it was quite a bright, bright green. for her. I wondered whether it was the planet, because, you know... Um, bit of planet, bit of island. Mm. Um, really sad she couldn't get to Epsom. Sorry her horse didn't, um, didn't make it, um, didn't win. Obviously fascinating, you know, to see the, the modern-day Duke and Duchess of Windsor in um, Meghan and Harry. Oh, who, you keep saying that. Oh, Corrie, come on. No, I mean, it's I, getting I, more and more. <laughs> they come back to England with a film crew. They keep get. They keep trying to do all these jobs and getting knocked back. Look, there have been some really nasty I articles. Still, I, still, I still love them. I heard Piers, what's his you name? Love Piers them. Morgan. You love them. Yeah, I do. I, Piers, is you it Piers love Morgan? He, he absolutely <laughs> hates the Duchess of Sussex with such a passion. I can't understand. Look, I, I do love them because I think they are... I, as I've said before on this podcast, 
I think Harry was really damaged by his mother's death and kind of, I'll just say it takes one to know one and I'll leave it at that. But I think it has completely defined his life and he has, uh, for whatever reason, decided to live in the States and the Oprah Winfrey interview was a really bad PR move. But I, but I think there is genuine family love there. I think the worst PR move was um, when they were in, before before they'd actually officially left the firm, when Megan gave that interview in Africa, when um, they were basically there and it seemed to be that the mission was to do publicise world poverty and they were among some really, really strife-torn areas and Megan started bleating on about how tough it was being a royal. I just thought that was really bad. I mean, that was one of the worst, worst, PR moves she ever made. And I know it's not all about the optics, as they say, but that was just completely wrong to me. And I think, you know, they've really been snubbed. I mean, to not even be allowed they on the balcony. They were booed, Caro. They were booed. Yeah, they were they booed. The They're not allowed on the balcony. They didn't seem to be part of any of the celebrations. But the stage managing of their own children and their own lives. And as I say, the film crew over there to try and make money or, or make a a buck out of this just seems like... Well, they're raising a lot of money for the foundation. So the question has to be asked, where's the money mm. from the foundation going? Mm. We would hope not into Megan and Harry's all that policy. money, All that money for that renovation of Frogmore. <laughs> I mean, you know, they've barely been there anyway. Well, like, they had Lilibet's birthday there the I other don't, day. Which I don't lovely. dislike them, but I certainly don't love them. I feel really sorry for them because I just think it's going to get worse for I them. I think at some point when, when his father is king, I think Harry will go back. I do, I do think that, and I hope so. And I hope that there is healing without wanting to sound too bully about it. A lot of healing to be done. I tell you what, I tell you what, though, you know who must have been mighty miffed to not be there was Prince Andrew. Well, didn't he have COVID? Oh, that's what they're saying. Good excuse. (laughs) He can't be there. He's just settled and made a multi-million-dollar settlement. And what about the vegan protest? Did you see them? Yes, I did. I didn't. Yeah. (laughs) Gee, they're highly organised. Those vegans, though, aren't they? No, look, I, it, it's going to be interesting. I think we all agree. And, you know, it's been a topic of conversation. I was at a lunch the other day and we talked about what life would look like without the Queen. And in the end, you know, maybe some people just love her because she's been such a constant. Not many people get to do a job and do a very good job for 70 years. And when you think about it, she's only had a few missteps while in the public eye. You know, the Diana's, Diana's death funeral. was one of them, mm. obviously. Um, well, the, 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 the actual the flag death, yeah, situation. After the death. Yeah, that's right. But, um, but apart from that, you know, it's hard. She hasn't really put a foot wrong. So we do love her. We love what she stands for. And I do think that Australia will probably end up being a republic in the mm. years that follow her inevitable death, which is incredibly sad in one way and moving forward in another. But I agree. to find the right model is, is what sort of concerns me. Um, is there any? Do you want? Is there, do you want to do a shout out to any other royals that you enjoyed over the weekend? I mean, I love Lady Sarah Armstrong Jones still. Yeah, hasn't hasn't Lindley? I mean, he's our age. I used to have a crush on him with Andrew. Uh, he's aged significantly. Yeah. Haven't we all? <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't been kind to some of us. You know who I really am just increasingly enamoured with? That's Sophie, the Duchess of Wessex. I mean, you can have. Prince Edward over there in a separate room. I'm not really interested in him. But Sophie has worked hard and clearly when the Queen was ageing and stepped back about seven or eight years ago, Sophie has stepped forward to represent her. And she's just such a good, hardworking royal. And the other one I love, and you know I love her because she's my favourite royal, is Princess Anne. And there was this really lovely moment 
I think it was the concert, Charles was sitting next to Anne and there's some footage of them. I don't know what he has said. She has just had a fit of laughter. You don't often see Princess Anne laughing. And you're just reminded of the beautiful young woman she was, which we talked about when the most recent episode of the series of The Crown was on, what a knockout Anne was. I I think she's she's such a hardworking royal. Now, Corrie, on that note, on that celebratory note, we're going to go to the cocktail cabinet. Miles, Miles from Prince Wine Store is going to recommend local wines to impress a wine-savvy guest. Corrie's having a lunch and she needs some advice. Miles, it's great to have you. Miles Thompson from Prince Wine Store. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm really well, and I presented you with a bit of a dilemma of my own after last week's episode. I said to you that I'm having a very special lunch on, well, dunch really, five o'clock start on Saturday for the long weekend, and I'm having a couple of friends over, one of whom is actually a winemaker, and I wanted to impress without going overboard and going for the $100 plus bottle. And I said, Miles, I'm coming around to Prince Wine Store. Can you suggest some things for me? And what have you put in my box that I'm going to collect today? Well, I put a, I put a couple of things in. Um, I think the, the person is a, probably knows a little bit about Shiraz. So, and I think we had a few options there. So I put in two. One's, one's local, one's, one's sort of, I guess, an emerging region. So one of them's the Craig Lee Shiraz, um, which I don't know yourself and other punters may have heard of. So from Sunbury um, here in Victoria. Goodness gracious. Whenever I think of Sunbury, I think of the Sunbury Rock Festival. You, of course, weren't (laughs) born. Jane's looking at me like, what? Never heard of it. (laughs) Yeah, Billy Thorpe and the Aztecs, circa 1972, I reckon. Heard of them. (laughs) Yep. Well, it was a big event, and, of course, I was way too young to be allowed to go by my parents, but um, we do remember that. So, sorry, I I digress. Tell me about the Craigley Shiraz. Yeah, so Pat Carmody, he, look, it, it's a bit of a legendary wine as far as, you know, it's one of these classic, classic, particularly Victorian Shirazes that's been around for a long time. You know, Sunbury now is, is you know, surrounded by suburbs and, and it's been sort of, you know, quite encroached upon. But obviously, you know, 30, 40 years ago uh, or so when it was established, that wasn't the case. But look, he makes a really classic um, I guess cool climates, you know, that lovely sort of peppery and soft sort of sweet spice. And he gets just this lovely sort of supple, supple sort of sweet lush fruit as well. Um, it's just such a, it, it ages fantastically, but it's one of those wines that, that you know, you, you drink it young and it's just such a joy. So I thought it was a bit hard not to include such a classic wine. So that's the Craig Lee Shiraz, uh, the 2017. So that's about, that's about 65. That's great. Show, so. That is really good value um, because it sounds delicious and I can't wait to show off with that one. And what else have you yeah, chosen definitely. for my um, my mystery box? So do you want to know? Well, I've got a few there. So the other one I thought, well, there's another Shiraz, Franklin Estate Isolation Ridge, that comes out of um, the Franklin River in, in WA and it's becoming a bit of a, that Mount Barker Franklin River sort of area is becoming a bit of a hotbed of, you know, I guess Margaret River is more famous for Cabernet, but certainly this region, a bit further south, a bit cooler, is really starting to produce some awesome Shiraz. So another Shiraz, the Franklin Estate isolation is Shiraz, and the Franklin Estate seem to be sort of leading the charge as far as that varietal. And again, it's in that more sort of fine and filigree sort of style of Shiraz. And that's $50, and that's just a, such a cracking wine as well. 
Terrific. And do I have any white in my mystery box? You do. I, I didn't. I didn't stay in Victoria. I went over to um, to the Adelaide Hills, um, and I picked the Michael Hall Saint Pigeon Chardonnay. Um, Michael Hall used to be a jeweller, and uh, sort of got into winemaking, or has always sort of been into it, and then got into it. And this is his own label. Um, really talented, lovely, lovely, lovely guy as well, which is always fantastic. Uh, but really, just makes such sort of top notch wine. He makes a bunch of Shirazes in and around Adelaide Hills and, and the Barossa. Um, but he does a few whites, and this Chardonnay is always so good. And it's just, it's an Adelaide Hills Chardonnay, and it just gets that sort of balance of richness and power, but kind of freshness and crunch, really beautiful sort of oak use on it. And it's $33, and I always think that's just, like, way too cheap for that wine. It is exceptionally good for the money. I am loving this because it means I can show off in front of my winemaker friend, Jane. <laughs> I can actually I say, so. oh, and also Michael Hall, who used to be a jeweller. Isn't it amazing, yeah. Miles? You must find this all the time with the winemakers who you, with whom you meet. Their previous, often there is a previous profession. I remember I did a story with Dr. John Middleton of Mount Mary Winery in the mid-80s, I guess it was about 1986 or 87, and he was just one of several doctors, former GPs or former surgeons, who'd given up the medical life and in their early retirement had started growing vines. Yeah, yeah, it's not uncommon. Um, We're a duck, of course, as well. Um, he, um, he was a surgeon, I think, as well, and yeah, you do, you do see it. So, yeah, it's interesting. It's always not. I think it's always nice. I suppose it's not easier when you're sort of born into a winemaking family, but it's always nice to to speak to people you know have such a passion for wine, and then, you know, I mean, I think it's like being a chef. It's a it's a pretty bold move, <laughs> and you're probably not going to make millions from it. Um, to sort of go into winemaking, it's a really, I think, it's a labour of love in a lot of ways. So. Yeah, it's always interesting, you know, people who maybe don't have that background who get into it and, and excel at it too. So and certainly Michael Hall's one of those people for sure. I've got to jump in, Miles, and say he wasn't just a jeweller. He was once a jeweller for Sotheby's in Switzerland, which is another oh, reason yeah. I love I your should. website. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and, and it's interesting when you sort of look at his wines, they're so beautifully put together. And I think that's really sort of the hallmark of, of, of his winemaking style. Really understands what he's working with, the regions and all that sort of stuff. But I think from a winemaking perspective as well, he just uses that to enhance everything. And he just does it with really precision and sort of balance, I think. And, and I think you see that. I don't know whether that's something that I'm coming up with afterwards, knowing that he's a jeweler, but it does seem that, that his winemaking does encompass some of that as well. Wow, that is great, Miles. Uh, look, I'm really looking forward to trying these and I will report back to Potties. Of course, if anybody is interested in accessing the wines that Miles has talked about today, the Craigley Shiraz from Sunbury, the Franklin Estate Shiraz, and of course the Adelaide Hills Chardonnay from Michael Hall, the former jeweller who is now a great winemaker, you can jump onto princewinestore.com.au. And what do we receive and how do we do it, Miles? So 10% off um, your purchases when you put in the uh, uh, code M-E-S-S at the checkout. Fantastic. Miles, we'll look forward to catching up next week. And don't forget, everybody, princewinestore.com.au. Corrie, on that note, I'm going to kick off books, screen and food because I have rediscovered one of our favourites, Anne Patchett. 
So I'm going to kick off with, um, have you read this book? No, and I'm really glad that you are you are reading it, Caro, because uh, I've never read it. And I'm so excited. To, we love Anne Patchett. I just found it of in course, my bookshelf the other week. Um, it what was, was first, What was the house we lived What was the, the Dutch house. The Dutch house. Um, this book is called The Magician's Assistant. It was actually first published in 1997, so it's an early Anne Patchett. And where did you pick this up from? I found it in my bookshelf. I must have... Maybe I brought it from you. Bought it from you. Maybe I bought it from an op shop. I can't remember. Maybe someone sent it to me. The magician's assistant is just the most beautiful story. The main character is the magician's assistant. Her name is Sabine, a Jewish woman in her early forties. Um, the story opens with the death of Parsifal, the magician she's been working alongside as his assistant. And what what loved. period of time are we looking at? Oh, current day. Well, obviously it was the 1990s. Um, Parsifal um, is a magician. She's assisted for 20 years. And um, he is a beautiful man, but he is gay. And she chooses to love him and live with him anyway. But there is a third member of this triangle, and his name is Fan or Pan, a half Vietnamese, half French, basically very, very wealthy and clever businessman interesting man in himself who Parseval loves. Parseval loves and um, Sabine loves too. They all end up, well, Parseval and Sabine end up in Fan's beautiful house in Los Angeles after he dies. And then 18 months later, two years later, Parseval dies too. And it's pretty obvious what they both die from. But after Parseval's death... You're not going to tell us, are you? Well, I mean... AIDS or something. Yeah, Yeah, whatever. After Parseval's death... Sabine gets a call from his lawyer. She's basically been left with more money than she'll ever want or need because of these two wealthy men leaving her everything, even though she's dedicated her life to a man who can never really love her in the way she wants to be loved. She chooses to accept that. Um, She receives a call from his lawyer early in the book to let her know that Parsifal's mother and two sisters and offspring are still alive. And she says, no, they're not. Um, His parents died with his sister many, many years ago. And the lawyer said, well, I thought that too, but no. And his name was not really Parsifal. And he didn't come from where you thought he came from. He actually came from somewhere else. And um, do you want to meet them and see them and talk to them? And of course she doesn't. She's in complete shock that he's lived alive for so long. And then these two, the one of the... Is, one it, of a the, will, is it a will contesting moment? Well, he's left them some money, but only... Um, only a neg- well enough money to make them very wealthy, but it's not going to affect her, and she doesn't care. She d- money is not the issue for Sabine, but it's what happens when the mother and one of the daughters, Albertine, come and visit Los Angeles. And oh, Corrie, it is the most wonderful story. I couldn't put it down. Really, I highly recommend this book. Anne Patchett, the magician's assistant. I loved Commonwealth. I've, I've loved so many of her books. I mean, the Dutch House was great. State of Wonder is another wonderful one. Bel Canto is probably My her best. Yeah. But anyway, that is the magician's assistant. And um, do you want to do a recipe now, or shall I go to screen? Well. Let's do things in the order of which we intended. Okay. Screen. BSF it is, Caro, not I, BFS. I know. I just feel as though I'm hogging the line. Well, you are. <laughs> What's, what else is well, news? Well, I know you've fallen in love with the offer, but we have talked about it a lot. So, Okay. 
Well, can we can we just can we have a show of hands, potties? If you would like us to discuss the offer and Godfather Part One and Two, have a really sort of intense moment because it's fifty year anniversary this year. Hands up, we want to hear. Okay, you might say no, no more. We're sick of it. Yes, we'd like to, we might do a you, special you show. You rather happily glossed over when I mentioned it at the live podcast, and then a few weeks later, and did a big review because you had. Now you've watched it, and you agree it's one of the best things. We've seen, and you're not letting me talk about it. Well, we've talked about it. Oh. Anyway, um, oh, I just finished episode eight the other night. So fantastic. Um, but First Lady is also on Prime. Um, it's been, it's certainly been advertised around Melbourne on billboards for a while, and it did look a bit cheesy. But Brendan and I thought we'd give it a go. Look, the the thing, the one thing you need to know about this show, there are three First Ladies featured, and it it's all done higgledy piggledy. There's flashbacks, flash forwards. There are connections between all three, despite generational differences. But the three presidents' wives are Eleanor Roosevelt, Betty Ford and Michelle Obama. And they're played by great actresses. So there's Viola Davis and um, Gillian Anderson plays um, Eleanor. But Michelle Pfeiffer as Betty Ford steals the show. She is a wonderful actress. Mm. And Betty Ford's story for me was by far, I mean, I knew a lot about Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, You know, we've read Michelle's book and she's obviously a fascinating story, but still very much in our living memory. But Betty Ford and her struggles and the struggles of her husband and how she and her husband first got together, because it wasn't her first marriage, which I didn't realise. She was married to an abusive man before Gerald Ford. Um, Oh, it's a wonderful, wonderful portrayal. Can I ask, Wonderful. What, what's the connector between the three? I'm trying to think, what would it be? Would it be impoverished backgrounds, but not necessarily with Michelle Obama because she came from middle class Chicago? No, what, no, no. no. Oh, no, and no, Eleanor there, Roosevelt was Teddy's a, yeah. um, niece. Is there a theme here? The theme is, the, the connection is that all three were um, strong, intelligent, outspoken women with firm beliefs in their own right who wanted to play a bigger role in their husband's cabinets or in their husband's ministries or whatever you call it. So wouldn't Hillary fit into that category as well? Well, Hillary did play a role. She was given a role. Mm, okay. Yes, yes. If someone enough, said to enough. me, oh, Hillary yeah, yeah. might be a bit offended that she wasn't featured, maybe there's going to be another series. But I don't think – I feel a lot is known about Hillary. These three are fascinating. Wow. Fascinating. So honestly, I, I, I'd watch it alone for – and Dakota Fanning plays um, – Gerald and Betty Ford's daughter, she's wonderful too. And the portrayal of the mother-daughter is wonderful. So is it three-part series? No, it, it's longer than that. It's sort of, it's, it's sort of, it's a bit like the offer in that, you know, you watch a few and then you realise they're dropping one every week. Mm. So it's still going. Um, I'm up to where we're meant to be up to at the moment. I think I've watched seven or eight episodes. And as I say again, stealing the absolute show is Michelle Pfeiffer, who's mm. disappeared for a few years. She was such a beautiful young actor and boy, oh boy, is she improved. She's a great actor now. So that is my screen, First Lady mm. on Amazon Prime. Corrie, with all this entertaining you did over the weekend, I hope no, after missing... I haven't missing, done any entertaining on Well, I hope after missing... Yeah, oh, no, I did. That's right. I, I hope that. after missing the Jubilee that you're able to come up with a good recipe for us. Well, I didn't serve this when the Geelong gang came over for the lovely long lunch on Saturday, but I did serve it the night before with Coco, Peter, myself. I took inspiration from the uh, Mexican dish that I did a couple of, well, you actually ended up cooking a couple of weeks ago with Jane's mushrooms. This is yogurt and spice roasted salmon tortilla. This is so delicious. 
this is serves for 500 grams of skinless salmon fillet cut into cubes. And then for the marinade, and again, you could use this marinade for chicken or anything you wanted. It's four tablespoons of Greek yogurt, a tablespoon of garlic granules, a heaped tablespoon of rose, rose harissa, one teaspoon of ground turmeric, a teaspoon of paprika, finely grated zest of a lime, and a good squeeze of the juice, olive oil, and a generous dash of sea salt. And you serve them in tortilla wraps with whatever you want. Sliced tomatoes, finely sliced onions, coriander leaves. So essentially what you do is you just, uh, before you cook the salmon on your hot plate or indeed the barbecue or however you want to do it, you marinate it in this Greek Greek marinade. And then I spread the salmon out onto a prepared baking tray with the baking paper. You roast it for 10 minutes, bring it out of the oven, serve it immediately onto your tortilla with the tomatoes, the onion, the coriander leaves, whatever else. I put cucumber and avocado as well. Absolutely delicious. This marinade is good for the middle of the week. It's not too hot for children because it has this rose harissa. It's got that just slightly sweeter taste. But it's undercut with the lime juice. Great recipe, and um, highly recommend that. So Jane will put that on the show notes, Caro. It sounds delicious. So you make them into tortillas, obviously. Yeah, the yeah. soft flour tortillas, not. Oh, lo- yeah. Well, I just bought mine from the local. Yeah, but soft, and we just heated them up on the. We actually heated them up on the. Um, on the, the hot lo- plate, on by themselves, like yeah. marsh- toasting marshmallows. So it was really delicious, great, easy uh, family meal, and uh, yeah, and I highly recommend that. Corrie, that was BSF for Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. And isn't it time, everyone, you called Red Energy on one three one eight zero six? Book The Magician's Assistant by Anne Patchett. Screen First Lady, screening on Prime, and Corrie's recipe: yogurt and. Yogurt and spice roasted salmon tortillas. All will be in our show notes. And the book is called Simply by Sabrina Gahour, G H A Y O U R. Very briefly, Corrie, I'm grumpy. And the reason I'm grumpy is because early this morning, yet again in the dark, I took my beautiful little puppy, who's now 14 months old, Queenie, for a walk. Melbourne's parks and gardens are mud heaps. There is no excuse for this. We have had the most beautiful autumn, the most wonderful weather. There's been a bit of rain lately. What on earth, where on earth are our rates going? Can I I say I'm just so with you. I'm sick of bringing that dog home and being roared at by Pete saying, well, where did you take her? Why is she so muddy? To the park. I mean, surely, you know. Agree, agree, agree. why agree. Why are they not keeping up? the grasslands of Melbourne. I mean, a lot of my local walking areas at the moment are completely closed and unworkable because they're completely returfing the entire area, and that is happening everywhere. But those that are available, that aren't surrounded by wire and orange, you know, bits of flag and whatever, are... um, there are holes everywhere. There are potholes. There's mud everywhere. The ball, the tennis ball is covered in, you know, filthy mud by the time you throw it once. And I don't understand why when we pay our rates and there has been, there was, there's been ample time during COVID to work outdoors. Are they Construction playing, didn't stop. Are they playing footy on your oval? Because that makes a big difference. Not on, our, not on the places I'm walking my not, dog. Because if you go to somewhere like, I don't know, thinking Como Park or Princess Park. Well, Como or Park's closed yeah. at the moment. Yeah. You'd have to do the outskirts. But there's heaps of other areas. It's not good enough. Get out there, turf men and women of Victoria, 
and fix our parklands. We're, we're not New South Wales. You know, in Sydney, the minute it rains, they, they call off footy games there. I mean, it, they're not made of tough oh, stuff that, that we are. That, that'd be right. But walking our dogs doesn't mean we have to ruin our shoes every single time. Corrie, on that note, we're going to kick into six quick questions. Yes, and I want to start. Has Tanya Plibersek been snubbed by Anthony Albanese, Caro? Well, I think she has. I think she has. I mean, she set up the most wonderful education portfolio as shadow minister, massive budget, um, I think 10 times the budget of environment where she is now. And yes, it is an enormously important portfolio that she's taken on. Energy and water. Energy and water, I'm sorry. But um, I was really surprised that she didn't get education. And I think a lot of people internally were too. So yes, she was. Corrie, has Boris Johnson been snubbed by his party? Well, when they have a vote against you and no confidence motion and 41% of the MPs say, we have no confidence in you, Prime Minister, I suspect he has been snubbed. Oh, God, this is just about as bad as it can get but for Boris. But he has survived for now. He's survived, but the the history would tell us that in the Tory party, once there's a vote of no confidence, you are a dead man walking. Margaret Thatcher, John Major, Theresa, Theresa May. Now, she's interesting because she... There was a no confidence motion against her. She had fewer opposition people in the room than Boris did. Yet a couple, a few months later, the men, mostly men, maybe a couple of women, I don't know, in grey suits, came knocking on her door. And you know, when you receive a delegation mm. of your mm. of your ministers, you're in trouble, which could be happening to Boris in the next couple of months. But there, it's interesting, Caro, to watch who might who might uh, who might come to the top there. Jeremy Hunt, who's the former health minister, is obviously the likely successor. Uh, Rishi Sumak, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, of course, has been tarnished completely by Partygate as well. Quite a few of them have been tarnished by Partygate. Mm, watch this space. Now, Caro, what was your weekend highlight? Look, I had a fabulous weekend and oh, lots did of you? highlights. I haven't even asked you what you did on the weekend. I had lo- well, I didn't, you know, I did lots of things. Were you, where were you? Um, I Back was in Melbourne. Forward, and was, you went to Geelong for the footy? No, no, that was a previous week. I was. I came back to Melbourne um, to do radio. Oh, we had some great interviews on 3AW on Saturday, so good day. But after radio, I met my mother and we went shopping. It's something I don't do very often, just have time to go and look at shops. But I put aside an afternoon and, I mean, it was just – I went to mum's, she had the beautiful fire going. I said, come on, I need you to look at a few frock mother ideas. Of, mother of the bride maybe? It, well, that was one thing. But we went – we chose High Street Armadale as our area to go shopping. We traipsed, traipsed up and down, ran into a couple of people we knew, which was lovely and haven't seen for many years – Tried on heaps of outfits, just completely. Oh, and there's nothing like having your mum because she's so honest and she can say your bum looks big in that. She was a bit too nice, actually. She never said that about anything. She was very complimentary. I'm sure she wouldn't say that about you because you know, she looked mum, lovely and everything. But she, I do miss going shopping with my yes. mum so, so much. Well, it was just so enjoyable. And then I, we went into a couple of shops, went to Oriton, and I made her try on some things that she liked and she wouldn't buy anything, but she looked fabulous. And then we... Polished off the day, finished off the day. I think there's a drink coming, Jane. With a glass of wine at a gorgeous wine bar <laughs> called Albert's, um, which is also in Armadale, just opposite, uh, just next to where the old market import was at the end of King's Arcade, one of your favourite old haunts. Most gorgeous wine bar. We Mum had a Prosecco. I had an orange. You know, that's me now, the new orange wine drinker. Just one glass. I dropped Mum home. It was getting dark. 
And mum said, what a perfect afternoon. I said, I couldn't agree more. And there, and there is your footy-loving public, your adoring footy-loving public, thinking that you sit at the MCG every week, well, week a, in and week out. If you if you followed footy, you would know there wasn't a game on Saturday afternoon. You know what no, I mean. No, but there wasn't a game oh, on, so is, we couldn't go. I am go. so jealous of that. What a wonderful highlight. It was lovely. Corrie, what is your latest fashion tip? And in fact, has it got something to do with what's on your feet at the moment? Oh, Listen, Jane and Caro, look at these. So these are my new furry. So so this is called Sheeling, and they were launched this morning. Actually, I spent I've spent the last couple of days in Melbourne, staying with my Brunswick family, Will and Lib and Florence, and Will and Lib have Monty slippers, as we all know. And if you go onto montystore.com, you will see the new Sheeling slippers have arrived and Will and Lib and Florence presented these to me this morning because I don't know why they think I've been doing any babysitting. I seem to be flippity jibbity from be party ta- to party I wouldn't party be taking them to Melbourne's parks and gardens. I wouldn't be taking them to... They're beautiful, though. But I, I have to tell you guys that um, Will and Lib, as I was racing out the door, said we would love to offer pod- Poddies a special offer. So here it is, guys. These are the key points. Shielding material is super cosy and warm. New and improved designs. It's now Monty slippers are now manufactured in Brazil, so they're really, really terrific. And these are so chic. The discount offer is if you go onto montystore.com, the discount offer is don't shoot 15 for 15% off. Honestly, those children of mine are never going to get ahead in life. So there you go, everybody. That is uh, that is the beautiful blacks. Well, they're black and white, and there's all sorts of other Monty slippers there. That's their gift to you. Caro, what's your favourite winter colour? Well, I was going to say lemon yellow because I've decided oh, it Kate, goes... Kate Middleton loves a bit of lemon yellow. Well, I, I saw it on Kate. Although it's summer over there. I've, I've, teamed, it, I've teamed it with... Um, it, it looks great with navy. It looks great with black pants or jeans. It looks great with um, a pale olive green, which is my other favourite winter colour at the moment. But I have to say that I went to a lunch the other day and 50% of the girls turned up in white coats. Oh, well, yes. And winter white. I mean, everybody is, oh, Miss Jane's completely shaking her head or turning up her nose, curling her lip. Who can wear white without getting grubby? Mm, Good question, Jane. I just wonder. But I think it it might have something to do with the fact that you have a child under 10. And wood fires and... Well, yes. but, but, but if you go to the is... footy, I've been to the footy a bit lately at night, and everyone I've noticed really white jackets, white coats. Um, you can team it up for a black tie outfit. I've, I'm amazed by how much white I've seen. Absolutely gorgeous. So, bit of a I'm sitting on the fence with winter colour, but lemon yellow would be the thing I'm looking at. I'd love to find a lemon yellow coat. Corrie, what's this week's amazing fact? Uh, well, it's to do with the jubilee, Cara. So, just a few random facts that I thought you may or may not know. Um, a jubilee is a special celebration that marks 25 or 50 or 75, 70 years of reign of, or an activity or even a business. I saw a few months ago somebody was celebrating, business was celebrating its 25 jubilee. I thought that's a bit sneaky of them. Um, the, Brit- the first British monarch to mark a jubilee was King George III, who we all know as Mad King George, and he had one to mark his 25th. Six monarchs have reached their golden jubilee. Elizabeth II, Victoria, George III, James I, Henry III and Edward III. Queen Elizabeth is the first British monarch to celebrate a platinum jubilee, probably the last I would suggest, because everybody lives longer these days. 
and her first solo performance was in April 1942, aged 16, when she inspected the Grenadier Guards at Windsor Castle as part of her birthday. The Queen has carried out more than 21,000 public engagements during her reign. And did you know, I'm just keeping this in mind, Caro, because remember when Prince Philip had his car accident and you and I were shortling a bit, did you know that the Queen is the only person in Britain who is allowed to drive without a licence, without licence plates on her car, and she doesn't need a driver's licence? Did you know that? She's the only person. I knew she didn't have a driver's licence, which I find a bit odd, but I wouldn't imagine she's doing that much driving these days. Um, She can't vote. She's not allowed to vote. And she's an Arsenal fan. Didn't know that. I bet you didn't know that. I didn't know that either. I didn't know she loved Diana Ross so much either. Oh, I didn't want to. Tragically. No, I won't say anything more about that. I thought she was great. I thought that was. I did see that a little bit. Caro, what a lovely conversation we've had today. Well, I think so too. A friend of ours, Gabby Trainer, actually um, sent me a message from Nice where she's wandering down the um, Promenade des Anglais, des Anglais and said it was very enjoyable wandering down the Promenade des Anglais listening to you and Corrie's episode 220. But anyway, that was number two. Nice to know we're being heard around the Especially world. Especially by an AFL commissioner. I wouldn't mind being in Nice at the moment. Um, Corrie, great to see you. Great thank, to see you Thank too. you to Red Energy, obviously, 100% Australian electricity and gas, and Prince Wine Store. Remember the email there, Prince Wine Store, sorry, the website, princewinestore.com.au. Click on there, don't shoot the messenger page for all Miles' recommendations and discounts. Don't forget to listen to our bonus episode, Dear Carol and Corrie. You can connect with us via Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And if you want to get our show notes delivered to your inbox each week, hit the sign-up button on Facebook or in our show notes. Or send us an email and we'll subscribe you. Email is feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Corrie? Don't shoot the messenger. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 12 years in a row, Prince Wine Store and the Bendigo Art Gallery, presenting Elvis direct from Graceland. Created in partnership with Graceland, this Australian exclusive exhibition explores the life and style of Elvis Presley. On now until July 17, tickets from bendigoartgallery.com.au.